0: This morning we'll talk about the virgin birth, and so we'll go in different places. We'll start in Isaiah 7, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't own a Bible, you can get one in the lobby on your way out, but we will have the words on the screen so you can follow along uh, with us. Uh, But the virgin birth is... I believe, one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, The idea of the virgin birth is really the idea that Jesus came uh, sinless into the world. And I I don't really believe that this is an open-handed issue. And what I mean by that is, in Scripture, uh, we see open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. And I'll define what they are. So an open-handed issue could be things like Uh, How you view church government, whether the church should be run by a congregation or whether it should be run by elders or deacons or however, I think that's an open-handed issue. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and differ on that idea. Uh, I I believe that the idea of worship style is an open-handed issue. You can have different types of worship styles and still uh, uh, be a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe that uh, issues like women in ministry, that's an open-handed issue. You can be a believer and have a different view of women in ministry. Uh, Speaking in tongues, your view of the end times, I would say these are open-handed issues. Issues. They're not essential to you being a believer in Jesus Christ, um, but there are close-handed issues, such as the Trinity, that God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that, G, that uh, salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, that Christ is the only way to salvation. That is essential to you Becoming a believer. And I would also add in that, among several others that I did not mention, uh, the virgin birth, I believe, is an essential theological, doctrinal truth that you must hold in order to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And what I just said was very controversial because many writers today, more modern writers, are denying uh, the virgin birth or saying it's just really not that essential. Yet, as we read Scripture, we're going to see that the virgin birth is essential to you being a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, if you deny the virgin birth, it's likely that you're not a believer in Jesus. And so my hope this morning that you will see why the virgin birth is essential to the Christian faith. So if you have your Bible Isaiah 7 is what will be. And what happens here in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus is going to come in this world as a man he's going to humble himself to do that. 700 years before that happens, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Let me give you a little context of Isaiah 7. Uh, The northern kingdom in Israel and the southern kingdom are at war, and you're seeing uh, there's a king here, and they have this, they have this enemy, both have this enemy that uh, the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are starting to oppress Israel. Israel's is trying to fight back and Israel's king um, Ahaz is beginning to fear their enemy. And then he's also just saying, you know what, the Assyrians are just really not that bad. And God's saying, no, 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 you have to see if you just trust me and if, you're, if, if our people, God's people, would stand up and fight this enemy and trust the Lord, you're going to win. And then you're going to see this this really dialogue between God speaking through Isaiah to this king Ahaz. And in this dialogue is where we're going to see the promise of the true king, and that king is going to be Jesus Christ. Notice with me, if you will, Isaiah 7, verse 10. It says this, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign Of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. See what he's saying here? He says, Listen, Ahaz, there's gonna be this true king that comes. And this is the king that we're really waiting for. He says, But look, give me ask for a sign. It could be the craziest sign possible. It could be as high as the heavens and as low as hell. And ask me for this sign. He goes, I don't want to put the Lord to test. I I don't want to do that. But listen, God is then going to answer that very question that he asked. He says, look, ask, tell me a sign, ask for a sign that is so crazy and far-fetched. He says, I don't want to do that. He's like, well, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And this is what you see in verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you are weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, the virgin, shall conceive, what, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he would curds, honey, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For behold, the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted." So he's talking to Ahaz of this real king, not an earthly king, that is able to know good from evil. And he's going to choose the good. We'll talk about that in a moment, why he's going to choose the good. But notice what he says. This king that you wait for and the people of Israel long for is going to be born of a virgin. That's very far-fetched, right? Okay, okay, anatomy stuff? Okay, good. Okay. Going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So he's it's, it's not just going to be born of a virgin. It's not just going to be this miraculous thing here, but it's also this incredible truth that this king is actually going to be God. And God is going to dwell among us. And what happens? Israel would await this one true king centuries after, and then you have some 700 years after this prophetic word that Isaiah gives to this king, Ahaz, this prophecy comes true. And we see the prophecy fulfilled, flip over then to Matthew chapter 1, and this is where the prophecy would be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, if you want to know what that means, ask a life group leader, they'll explain that. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the who? The Holy Spirit. Okay, now this is what's very unique here. Betrothed literally means that you're legally committed to one another. You're legally committed. This is a period that they weren't sexually intimate. They were not living together. They were they were committed, though, to each other. And it's kind of like an engagement, but it's more legal than that. How's that? That's my best way of explaining it. It's not like you just pop the question and everyone knows on Instagram all of a sudden, and you change your Facebook status to in a relationship with to engage, and you have 87 likes in seconds, and it's not quite that way. It's more of a legal um, relationship that's saying, I am committed to this person. I'm not going to be sexually intimate with this person. And what that means, and, and there would be other things that now, now the husband is going to have to prepare to provide for this woman. Do you hear that, guys? All right, is that, does that ring any bells? Like, okay, he has a job and, like, takes care of himself and showers and all that kind of stuff in order that he would have provision for this girl. So that's what this whole purpose was for. Like, he moves out of his parents' house, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, but they weren't to be romantically involved. This is a commitment that he was making with this woman. And if anyone were to break this commitment, even sexually, if 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 a husband or if a, if a man and wife who were betrothed to one another uh, fell into sexual sin, they a father could literally stone his daughter for that. If if a man were to fall into sexual sin as this couple were betrothed, some say that they would tie a long sheet around his neck and one would One man would pull on one side and one man would pull on the other until his neck would snap. They would kill a man for that. Now, imagine if we were to practice that type of behavior and deal with sexual sin. I mean, it it would be tragic. It would be horrible. No one would be alive in Greenville. It would be, I mean, what would we do with that? I mean, ECU would have like five students. I mean, what would we do... But I kid. Um, But this is what was happening. You would have this, it was a very intense process for a couple to be betrothed. So it says this happened before they came together. So you imagine with me, if you will, Joseph, who we'll see in a moment, is a very just man, and he is betrothed to this woman. And he knows, I have not touched her. And she says, I am pregnant. Now, first of all, he's worried about her and her own life. And he's worried about his life. He doesn't want to be strangled to death, right? And then he's going, how did this happen? Well, the Holy Spirit. That's strange, right? So they're trying to work this out. And you can imagine the fear the anxiety of even wondering, how are people going to perceive this? What's going to happen to us? Are we going to die? Like, are people going to banish us from our family? Are we going to be kicked out of our, our town? Are we, going to, are we never going to talk to some of these people again because of all this has taken place? But if you notice in verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her. Quietly, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord. Notice that. We looked at Judges. It said, the angel of the Lord. Here it's an angel of the Lord. So we can say it's an angel that appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, listen to this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. And then guess where he quotes from? Isaiah 7, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name. Once again, they repeated Jesus. And I love this because this is what um, the gospel writer Matthew does here. Is he quotes back in the Old Testament. He says, this is what's happening here, and what I'm recording for you is prophecy being fulfilled. Now, some will argue in Isaiah 7 that the word virgin is Alma, which it is, and the word means young woman. So, some will take this and say, well, see, it's discredited because um, young woman is not virgin. Interestingly enough, this Hebrew word, Amma, it actually shows up nine times in the Old Testament. And some of the times it's mentioned, it actually is in context talking about a virgin. So that stands on its own, that Hebrew word can mean, it's interchangeable, although the word itself alone does not mean virgin, but in context, it often is to describe a virgin. Furthermore, even in Isaiah 7, the context, he's telling Ahaz, listen, um, give me a far-fetched sign. He says a far-fetched sign is that he's going to be born of a virgin. Now, if he said born of a young woman, that's not so far-fetched. But what makes that far-fetched is that the very fact that It is, he's born of a virgin. But more so than even those two things, what helps us know that he's not just talking about a young woman? It's the context of Matthew chapter 1. Context helps us see that Jesus is not just talking about, or that Matthew is not just talking about Jesus being born of just a young peasant girl. The context shows that Jesus is born of a virgin. Think about it this way. How noteworthy would it be that Jesus would be born of a young woman? What kind of prophecy would that be? And why would Joseph be ready to divorce her from just making the comment that she's a young woman? I mean, imagine this. Like, oh, what? You're a woman? And I am betrothed to you? I had no idea that you were a young woman. Now I have to divorce you quietly, right? No, that that would be absurd. So how do we know that he's talking about a virgin? Well, the context shows that it's very clear that this is prophecy in Matthew. And Matthew helps us understand what Isaiah 7 is really about. The new interprets the old, and it helps us see, man, we're talking about a young woman, yes, but we're also talking about a virgin, and I want to say this and just I think it's clearly stated but I want to make this clear that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Some say that Mary you often hear blessed virgin Mary. We need to keep calling her virgin Mary because she always was a virgin. But it's very clear. Again, chapter uh, 1 of Matthew verse 25. It says Joseph knew not her knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So it's very obvious, very clear that he, they had, and we even see it later, other children. You're going to see it in, we, we studied James earlier in the year, and we, we were told that James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Because, it's called half-brother, because his father was Joseph, his mother was Mary. And they, that means, that shows again, that they had children. So she was not a perpetual virgin. Um, Jesus... Had, did not have an earthly father. He had a stepfather, that would have been Joseph. His, earthly, his heavenly father was his father, and that was God. So he was not born naturally, he was born supernaturally. And I want to tell you why this is important. Larry King was once asked if he could meet anyone, who would he meet? And he gives a great answer. He says, Jesus. The Sunday school answer, good answer, Right? And then the question was posed, what would you ask Jesus if you were to meet Jesus? He said, here's what I would ask him. I would ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer, this is what Larry King said, the answer to that question would define history for me. The answer to the question, are you born of a virgin to Jesus Christ? It's the number one question that he would ask him. That would define history for Larry King. And I would say, to many. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's the, called the Prince of Preachers, one of my favorite preachers of all time, he refers to the virgin birth as the greatest and most momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth. Now, it's not just a miracle, there are many miracles in the Bible that are amazing. You look through the Gospels and you see Jesus turn from water to wine. You see Jesus stop a storm, calm a storm, and you see Jesus feed thousands upon thousands of people with a little kid's lunch pack, and you go, how did that happen? And those are miraculous things, but the virgin birth is indeed a miracle, but it's more than just a miracle. It has implications on the way that we live, and I would even argue the way that we even see the gospel itself. So let me show you why it's important. Romans 5, turn there if you will. Romans 5, and I'll give you context of Romans 5. Paul is arguing how a believer is made right with God. Um, this is where we get the idea of a, of a big theological word that we throw around often, justification. It means how we're made right before God. How is it that we sinners are made right with God. And so Paul is arguing, listen, it's the gospel. We're made right with God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus sacrificially died for us. That's how we're made right with God. And this is where we're going to pick up in this discussion on how we're made right with God. Verse 10 of Romans 5 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, By the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God that through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, is this true or not? That we are enemies of God. Before we have a relationship with God, we are enemies enemies of God. So why is it then that we need to be reconciled to God? We're we're enemies of God. How is it that we are reconciled to God? He's going to answer that question next. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through what? One man. One man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. All men. Because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sin whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come so what is he talking about he says our first parents adam and eve because of their sin we inherit their sin. He says, from Adam to Moses. And we even follow in throughout Scripture. It's going to show up over and over and over again because of Adam's sin. Just as Paul says, sin came into the world through one man, so death spread to all men. What's death? It's just a penalty of sin. Because of sin, we die. And you can see it, Romans 3, 23, all of sin, fallen short of the glory of God. So you can see it in Psalm, all throughout Psalms, you can see different... Um, uh, verses about our depravity. It says, all have turned, Psalm fourteen, three. all have turned away and have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Other Psalms say, he looks over all of the world. He looks for one righteous man, he can't find one. Can't find one that decides to choose evil, good over evil. Not one. So we're, we're enemies of God. We're, we're born, we're dead because of our sin. And we all represent Adam. We see it in Romans 5, in verse 17. Five seventeen, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. See that? It reigned through uh, that one man. Much more will, will those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he's saying this. Paul's saying Because of original sin that came from our first parents, Adam and Eve, we are born sinners. We're like literally the walking dead. And we. this is why I believe legalism cannot fix a sinner. You can try to clean up a sinner all that you want. By the way, that's all of us. You can try to clean this up all you want. You can say, you can't go to Radar movies. You can't drink. You can't smoke. You can't chew. You can't date girls who do, right? You can't do those things. Stop being so bad. Come to church. Join a life group. Serve somewhere. We can say that all day long, but we cannot make a sinner right before God. Can't do it. It's impossible. Because we represent Adam. That's what, that's what Paul just unpacked for us. So we're either represented by Adam, which is a sinner, or represented by, by Christ, who is a Savior. And so I think about it this way. Like, my, my boys um, have completely different personalities. Finn is my oldest, and he looks like his mother. But I will tell you this, he is like the exact imprint of Ben Tugwell's nature. It is insane to watch him. He does big wide hand gestures, and when he tells a story, it's very... Dramatic, and he's kind of a spaz. Like, I mean, he got that for—he screamed the other night for no apparent reason. He was in the bathroom. I walked in. I thought someone was broken in and stabbed him or something. I didn't. I, it was a roach, and I was like, "I understand why you did that, though, because I would have reacted the exact same way." I watch him build Legos, and I'm watching him build this this battleship. And I'm like, you know what, that one wing needs a gun. He's like, he doesn't even hear me say that. I'm thinking that in my head. Dad, you know what this wing needs? And we're like, a gun, same time. (laughs) There's no way around it. Like we are, we think alike, we act. When he eats popcorn, he doesn't have one. He gets as much as popcorn as humanly possible in one hand and tries to cram all of it in his mouth as it's gonna fly away magically or some reason. And the reason why I say that is, you know... You can line up all the kids here at Integrity, and you could say, okay, talk for a few minutes, and you would say, that's his son. Because you could say that because he has a lot of my characteristics. Now, how do we know, though, who is represented by Jesus or Adam? You can say, well, the ones who are represented by Adam are going to act like Adam sinners. The ones who are represented by Jesus are going to act like Jesus because they love him. They are going to act and live like Jesus because they, Jesus has died for them. This is a new life that we've been given. If we're believers, we're going to, it's going to show up in our life who we are represented by because we were once dead in our sins. And trying to make a non-believer not sin is like trying to tell a dog not to bark. It's going to. It's going to. You can make all the behavioral modifications that you want, but you cannot make a sinner not sin. It's only going to have to happen from a heart change and a life change by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'll take you to a couple more places. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is arguing for the resurrection. He's saying to the believers at Corinth, they're beginning to doubt, and they're beginning to deny that Christ physically rose from the grave. And so Paul is saying, listen, if, if Christ isn't resurrected from the grave, we, have, we should be pitied. We have, we have adopted the most empty faith. We are foolish people who have a silly, ridiculous hobby if Christ didn't resurrect from the grave. But he says the resurrection is really our only hope. And then you're going to see it in chapter 15, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians. This is where this argument continues. He says... Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, um, For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. See that? So also in Christ shall all be made, what's the word? Alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Why is the resurrection important, Paul says? It's because it proves that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient. And it proves that we are only made alive through Christ He makes us. It changes the representation of Adam representing to us. Now Christ represents us because Christ has died on the cross and is resurrected from the grave. And this is why the gospel isn't about making moral people better. No, it's about making dead people alive. And if you see the gospel any other way, you're not really seeing the true essence of what the gospel is. It's that Jesus came to save sinners. So the question is this, what does this have to do with the virgin birth? Everything. Everything. Because Jesus was not naturally conceived, therefore Jesus does not have original sin like the rest of us. Jesus is not represented by Adam. He's represented by God because The Holy Spirit of God is how Jesus came into this world. He does not uh, carry the curse of sin like the rest of us. So he was born in perfection. And guess what? He lived his life in perfection. The writer of Hebrews said that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he lived a life without sin. Think about the malicious thoughts that you may have during the week. Think about the road rage you'll have driving around it, it's Christmas time. Just how often and how frequent we sin. It's it's overwhelming. The greed, the thoughts of greed, the thoughts of jealousy, the thoughts of hate, and just the sinful acts that come out of our heart. How often we sin. I think we get through a minute without sinning. I don't think we realize that. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And so why is it important then that Jesus was without sin? Why is it important that Jesus was perfect? Romans 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 is my favorite verse. One of my favorite verses. Pick up in the last sec- second part of verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, listen to this, he made him, who's Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's the gospel. This side is way more excited than this side. Isn't that wonderful? It's the gospel, that he made him who knew no sin to become sin. Great reformer Martin Luther, he calls this the great exchange. That my sin goes to Jesus and what comes from Jesus to me, righteousness. The righteousness of God. I am no longer represented by my first parents, Adam and Eve. I'm now represented by Christ. Because what Jesus did, he became sin for me. He died in my place. He lived the life that I should have lived, but couldn't because I was represented by Adam. And willingly did not because I love my sin more than my Savior. And what happens? He died in my place. He died the death that I was condemned to die. die. My sin goes to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness comes to me. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. You know why? Because he was perfect. And one of the reasons why Jesus was perfect because he was not Represented by Adam, therefore, you must believe in the virgin birth to be a believer. Because if the virgin birth isn't true, then Jesus can't be a perfect sacrifice. And if Jesus isn't a perfect sacrifice, then there is no hope. So when I became a believer, it wasn't like someone walked through the gospel and started. He was born of a virgin. I didn't even hear that when I became a believer. I did not hear the virgin birth when I became a believer. But you know what I did hear? I heard that he was a perfect sacrifice. And there is no other way to salvation to God except for through Jesus Christ. And if I did not put my faith and hope in Jesus Christ, I would be condemned. For eternity, I would be condemned because of my sin. So here's how I say it. I believed in the virgin birth before I even knew it was the virgin birth because I believed that Jesus is a sinless savior, the perfect sacrifice. Now, as I grew in my love for Jesus, I read his word. I heard about the virgin birth. I then began to apply that truth of the virgin birth to the story of how Jesus saved my life. And then I said, that's how Jesus was a perfect sacrifice because he was born perfect, because he doesn't carry Adam's sin like I do. Therefore, we have to believe in the virgin birth because we have, if we believe in a perfect Savior, we have to believe it because it's in his word, but we have to believe it because he's a perfect sacrifice. In an article, Dr. Al Moeller, he's the President of Southern Seminary, excellent writer and author and biblical scholar, he entitles this article, Can a Christian Deny the Virgin Birth? In this article, he writes, Christians must face the fact that the denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus as the Christ. The Savior who died for the sins was none other than the baby who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and the born of a virgin. The virgin does not stand alone, the virgin birth does not stand alone as a biblical doctrine. It is an irreducible part of biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, and with it, the gospel stands or falls because Christ was perfect. And I love that because this is the truth this morning. You in this room, you're either represented by Adam or you're represented by Jesus. And if you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, if you've repented of your sins and that you believe in the perfect sacrifice that Jesus offers, then you are represented by Jesus Christ. You're not represented by your works. You're not represented by your Self righteous acts that you think you might be earning the favor of God. No, you're only represented by Jesus. If you've never put your hope and faith, trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, you're represented by Adam. And as Romans 5 says, and what Paul writes to the Roman church, he says, to Romans, Romans he says, you're dead in your sins. And the only way that you can have life is if God breathes life in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. When Paul became a believer, it says something like scales fell from his eyes. He was blind. He was dead. The only way that he could see was through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's my hope that this morning, if you would say, yeah, that's me, I'm dead to my sin. I try to live a a righteous life. I try to strive toward holiness to God, but I'm doing it on my own work and I've never really put my trust and hope in Jesus. This morning, I pray that you would become a believer, that you would repent and believe the gospel because it's through the work of the gospel that can change your life. And that's how your life and heart is changed. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, what we just read. He says, the old has gone in all things come new. So if you've ever experienced a heart change in your life, you've never experienced that, then you're, it's likely that you're not a believer in Jesus. So it's my hope this morning that you would repent and believe. For those of us who believe, this truth of the virgin birth is a wonderful truth because it shows, again, that we have a perfect sacrifice who is atoned for our sins. And it's my hope this morning that this truth would resonate with your heart and cause you to be a better worshiper of Him and cause you to love Him more that you would want to herald this wonderful gospel message to all those that were in contact then this time of year. We're going to be around family members, we're going to be around people that we maybe not even like, but maybe the heart would be man, I have in my life the perfect sacrifice, the one who's atoned for my sins, and I cannot help share love Jesus Christ. So that's our hope this morning, that this truth would help you love him more, because it is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this truth, truth of your word. Thank you for being born of a virgin, that you were perfect in every way. Thank you, Lord, for living this life to where you were tempted in every way, just as we are, but you never gave in to sin. And thank you for dying in our place. For without your atoning sacrifice on the cross, we are, we are left dead in our sins. And Lord, I pray that this truth of the virgin birth would help us love you more deeply than we've ever loved you before, And would help, help give us a passion to obey you and love you and share the gospel with whoever we're in contact with. And Lord, for those in this room who've never put their trust and faith to you. Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sins and they would believe in the gospel this morning before they leave. And Lord, I, I pray maybe they would just talk to somebody before they leave and say, look, I've never trusted you. Or would you do that this morning? Would you, by your spirit, remove the scales from their eyes so they could see the gospel? And Lord, help us to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.